mountain to mountain, we are Radio Catskill. Welcome to the local edition, live from Radio Catskill Studios in Liberty, New York. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Thank you for being here with us this evening. Only 1% of American farmers are African Americans. Coming up in the second half of the program, we take a look at the disproportionate hurdles that exist for black farmers. But we're going to start off tonight with the latest local news from the River Reporter. And for that, we turn to Ruby Rayner of the River Reporter, joining us live on the phone. Ruby, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. So let's uh, start off talking about uh, Pennsylvania's 139th legislative district. Three local residents have announced their candidacy. This is for Pennsylvania's uh, House, right? The the assembly uh, for Pennsylvania itself, right? Correct. Okay, so who who threw their hat into the ring? Yeah, so the district seat was recently vacated by Joe Adams, and three different candidates have thrown their hat into the ring, Jeff Olsummer, Robin Schooley-Skibber, and Matthew Contreras. So those are the three. Jeff Olsummer is running on the Republican ticket, Robin Gouli Skibber on the Democrat, and Matthew Contreras on the Republican. And I can tell you a little bit about each of them, if you want. Yeah, that's that's actually what I was going to ask next. Who, who are these folks? Okay, great. <laughs> um, so, Allsummer is a small business owner. He chairs the Sterling Township Board of Supervisors and serves on the Wayne Memorial Health Foundation. Um, and he also previously served on the Wayne County Republican State Committee. Um, he's talked about his priorities, um, is reducing taxes for working families, um, specifically seniors on fixed incomes, and um, has discussed enacting pro-growth policies and wanting to invest in police as a means of regulating crime. Um, he also wants to reduce government everyday life. And in terms of that, he mentioned specifically empowering parents to have more control over their children's education um, and champions the Second Amendment. So he personally has family who've worked in public education. And so he's discussing the, the value of quality education and wants to continue to support um, local control of education. Uh, he's a lifelong Wayne resident, Wayne County resident, um, and lives with his wife, Kelly, in Sterling. So that's just a quick a quick synopsis of Olsummer for anyone who is considering who to vote for in the special election. The next candidate, Robin Schooley-Skibber, um, is the former director of the Pike County Area Agency on Aging and there worked over 20 years with seniors to help prevent premature institutionalization and hospitalization. So she's worked in public service for a very long time um, and as well as volunteer service and has endorsements from a bunch of people on both sides of the aisle. Um, Sheriff Phil Bukai, a Republican, has endorsed her candidacy as well as um, Michael Long, who's the former director of the Pike County Conservation District, um, in addition to both the heads of the Democratic committees in Pike, 
as well as Wayne County, um, which is Lisa Miller and Anna uh, Monahan. So she definitely has a, a some has definitely made it known that she has some endorsements in, in different types of areas. Um, and also the mayor of Milford endorsed her, Sean Strub. And she, her husband recently retired from teaching, so she also has a connection to the school system as well. Um, and then the last candidate, Matthew Contreras, he's run previously um, and, and hasn't won for, for Pike County Commissioner, I believe. And um, so people may be familiar with his name. Um, and he's lived in Pike County for more than 15 years, and he said that he wants to ensure fiscal responsibility, guarantee transparency, um, parental rights, election integrity, and reduce the tax burden, um, cut spending, and specifically safeguard constitutional rights. Um, he served in the Navy, and he's a president of the Homeowners Association, and he says, quote, most importantly, a husband and father. Um, and that's just a quick synopsis of all three of those candidates, and that special election will be held on Tuesday, April 23rd. Yeah, and just uh, do you have any info on, on why there's a special election, why uh, Joe Adams is, is uh, stepping down? Yeah, so Joe Adams is a, a freshman legislator, so this is his first year, um, and he said that it's for, quote, family health reasons. Um, he resigned uh, early February, like the second week of February, um, and that's why he he decided that he could no longer serve and why there is this special election. But it actually, his resignation tipped the, the state house to the Democrats. So oh my it was goodness. previously Republican, and now it's, was then after he resigned, it was 101 Dem to 100 Republican. And then five days after that, um, the Democrats expanded their majority to 102 to 100 when um, Propiac, a school board member in, in Bucks County, won uh, the 140th district. Well, yeah, I just want to pause and say it's a, a, a shame, at least uh, for Joe Adams. I hope that he and, and his family are doing well, because I know we were covering that he had to step down uh, from, you know, local uh, county commissioner to serve in the legislature. So um, th- that was interesting news to me. But this so this is a special election that uh, other folks in the Commonwealth in Pennsylvania are going to be paying attention to because it sounds like it affects the balance of the P.A. House. Yes, yes, it definitely does. And Republicans control the state Senate, and Governor Josh Shapiro um, is a Democrat, but it definitely has changed things um, just within him resignating um, Adams, and it will be, it will be, it affects, you know, Pike, Wayne, um, this election, you know, encapsulates both of the, both of those areas, yeah. so... Um, it's coming up April twenty third. Right, April twenty third. So we'll be covering that. So uh, Ruby, uh, you've got an update on uh, outbreak of bird flu, avian influenza in Wayne County. Uh, give us some of the details on this, quick. Yes. So there was about a little less than four hundred birds in in Wayne County that died of avian influenza. Um, the USDA confirmed that and. That was the second week of February, and it was a backyard flock. Um, and this would be the first outbreak in Pennsylvania this year. So in um, 2022, 
um, they, there started to be really bad outbreaks in, in Pennsylvania, and that went throughout 2023. Um, so this is kind of, there was a lull, and now this is reintroducing this, this fear. And um, this specific one is, is, this outbreak is non-poultry, so no restrictions will be imposed on the commercial poultry industry since these birds don't put that at risk. Um, but it's very contagious. And so I think it raises alarm um, in the USDA and uh, the Department of Health and uh, for everyone to just keep their eyes on their poultry. Um, and if, if listeners suspect that um, their poultry might be infected or showing signs, you know, their stock is showing signs of illness, um, they're advised to call the Pennsylvania Bureau of Animal Health and Diagnostic Services. Okay, and next in Sullivan County, an update on the Adult Care Center. This is a story folks have been following. We've been following it here. Uh, it, in no small degree, impacted the overturn of the political makeup of the Sullivan County Legislature in the last election. So now that the new uh, new legislators are seated, what are they seeing in the care center? Yeah, so I think exactly what you said um New legislators coming in have brought a new fire under discussing the care center and how it's going to move forward. Um, Kat Scott, who has, was very vocal about um, wanting better conditions at the care center, um, she spoke at the most recent um, social services committee meeting and spoke about some experience that she had heard that the podiatrist had not visited the adult care center in months, and it was really affecting um, residents who really grew somehow to wear like larger size shoes on their feet to accommodate uh, untrimmed toenails. And, and similarly, another uh, resident also was in pain because of not being seen by this podiatrist. And Kat really made it clear that she was just getting feedback from residents and families about services that just weren't being provided at the care center, beds not being changed um, due to a lack of staffing, um, and really characterized this as, she says, a, quote, dignity issue, um, to which really led her to ask, you know, Sullivan County still holds the certificate of need, which is this uh, the New York City Department of Health issues a certificate of need um, when facilities are built, acquired, expanded, and they regulate. And so this hasn't been transferred outside of the county's control to this consultancy that is currently operating the facility. So the county still is responsible. Um, they are responsible for for what's going on because they hold this certificate of need. So. Uh, Legislator Scott was making that clear in that meeting and kind of asking for asking for answers and asking for a decision to be made and in, in, in kind of accountability for this this really these complaints that she was hearing coming out of the care center. Yeah, but even before Cat uh, uh, Scott was seated on the legislature, that this was a similar task that she was doing before the election was bringing up issues trying to bring attention to the care center uh is this is what she's bringing up gaining any traction was there any reaction from the other legislators is there any movement on this issue yeah so in she was basically asking if we are holding the county the certificate of need and 
um, this contract with Infinite Care, we are supposed to be reimbursed for them, reimbursed by them, the county, who really is paying for these services, who is responsible. Can I ask someone from Infinite Care, this uh, consultancy agency who's running the facility, to come and, you know, can I ask them why these, these negative things are happening, why the podiatrist hasn't visited, et cetera? Um, and so this is your reading, that. like this is what Kat was saying. Yes, in the in the legislative meeting, she she was asking. Um, she asks basically, and I can I can quote her here. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, so so was there an answer to that question? Like, are yeah. they going to bring somebody in then? So, in 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 essence, um, Scott says that the Infinite Care CEO Saul Klein um, said that like he doesn't want to attend these meetings because he's he's nervous um, about backlash. Um, and because technically they're an employee of the county, uh, Scott was asking, can't we, don't we have some power to, to obligate them to come to answer these questions? Um, and there was kind of a, some back and forth about not speaking about personnel publicly. So after the meeting, they met with the uh, deputy county attorney and discussed, you know, ostensibly, this issue of personnel and performance of, of, of infinite care. So I think right. there's, yes, Kat's been talking about this for a long time, and now she's talking about it um, from, a, from a seat, from a legislative seat, and so she's putting that same pressure there, and um, it seemed to be that it, it did drive somewhat of a conversation after about what is happening and... Yeah. So, so it'll be interesting to see what they do there. And maybe if there is a concern about, uh, you know, technically people being employees, then maybe they can at least meet behind closed doors and get some answers. So um, we'll be looking at that, too. Kat, you have uh, 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 Ruby, you have just <laughs> one minute to give me an update on the pavilion. Is that possible? Yeah, I can do that. Um, so a quick, quick update is that the pavilion in... Narrowsburg, New York, and the town of Tustin um, has put out for bid. This was a very, and has continues to be a very contentious project, um, a pavilion that will be built partially paid for by a matching grant from Sullivan 180. Um, I think people have, have coined it, it's been called Pandora's Pavilion. I think it's brought up some differences in, in the community of people who want this open space. Uh, potentially a place for their shade for children um, and to host parties and other residents who feel that there's going to be a stress on taxes potentially and um, it won't be kept up and that there's been other projects that the town hasn't necessarily followed through on. So why should they start this new one, that there's other priorities? So those are just kind of the two sides, but this did move it forward an inch that the pavilion will be a reality. So it's out for bid and... Um, that doesn't necessarily mean they will accept a bid, but it's moving forward slowly. All right. Well, Ruby, thank you so much for going over all these stories with us. Thanks so much. Bye, Jason. When we come back, we'll talk to a Liberation Farm in Delaware County and get an idea of the hurdles that black farmers face. Stay with us. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local.
This week on the Retro Cocktail Hour, we've got the exotic sounds of Don Tiki, the White Tiki 7, and Les Baxter, plus the wild percussion of Dick Shorty. I'm Daryl Brogdon. Hope you'll join me where the music's always shaken, not stirred. The Retro Cocktail Hour. Coming up tonight at 7 on Radio Catskill. I'm Maria Hinojosa, this week on Latino USA. The story of Roland Sylvain, a Haitian-American immigrant who's now in deportation proceedings, all because of a little-known Trump administration policy decision known as the matter of Castro Tomb. It's like a kryptonite in this house. We don't talk about what if it doesn't work out. That's this week on Latino USA. Thursday afternoon at 1 on Radio Catskill. Hey, this is DJ Chucks of Old School Sessions. Please join me and Selected Starkey at our new time, 8 p.m. to 12 a.m. Saturday night. Old School, baby. Old School, baby. Old School, baby. Old School, baby. That's Old School Sessions right here on WJFF, 8 to midnight, Saturday night, only on Radio Catskill. Welcome back to the local edition. I'm your host, Jason Dolp. Radio Catskill reporter Marin Scoton spoke with Omawale Andawale, co-owner of Liberation Farm in Delaware County, to discuss his experience getting denied a loan by the USDA and his hopes for a more equitable future in American agriculture. In a food system that lends itself to large-scale producers, retailers, and corporations, being a small-scale farmer isn't easy. For black farmers, there are even more barriers to making a living growing food. Omawale Adewale is a farmer and co-owner of Liberation Farm, opened in 2021 and is entirely vegan, producing 100% organic food. What kind of guides us is um, Black food and land sovereignty. So just being able to control, you know, um, the food that's come into the community, uh, oftentimes, you know, we'll go out and, you know, maybe want to get okra. You know, and so okra might not be, you know, growing in all the different, you know, spaces, but there might be a lot of some, you know, other particular produce, right? So just having more variety, being, you know, feeling like I want to get sea moss, you know, um, so I want to have that relationship, you know, with um, Jamaican farmers, but also it, it such a connection, you know, just, you know, uh, decades of Jamaican farmers living near, you know, Black American farmers, um, of Black Americans, you're going to find that, you know, they, that's going to rub up on us. That's going to educate our, you know, our community. So that, you know, our neighborhood is going to need those particular cultural foods mm-hmm. that, that we value. And so that what's kind of, you know, kind of guides us in, you know, in our direction. So this is just having that understanding. We also, we do Black Veg Fest. And we've been doing that, uh, since 2018. Cool. And that's just basically trying to take it into our own hands, uh, be accountable. How do we actually, you know, get information, quality food information, you know, to our community, help them make, you know, um, you know, great decisions, you know, in different options. So we approach, um, veganism. We approach it from a way of giving the information, uh, not necessarily, you know, pushing in, but, suggesting that more fruits and vegetables, you know, over uh, animal produce. 
Though they've become a pillar in feeding their community, the past couple years haven't been easy for Liberation Farm. Adewale and his wife Nadia Muib applied for a farm service agency microloan of $50,000 at the Cortland County Office of the United States Department of Agriculture, also known as the USDA. The microloan program is dedicated to financing the needs of small beginning farmers, niche and non-traditional farm operations. They needed the money to help pay for a tractor accident the previous summer, on top of other costs. But on November 17th, Liberation Farm was notified they were denied the loan. So, uh, you know, my my wife and I was also, you know, partnering with Liberation Farm uh, with 50-50 in our partnership. You know, we both just felt like, you know, like exasperated. They've messed with our emotions, you know, quite a bit. And it made, made us feel like, we wouldn't be able to do anything. So, and, and just knowing that this has just been, you know, you know, historic, you know, situation, it's, um, it's very jarring. Uh, and it, it's, it really makes you call the entire system in, you know, into question. Adewale and Weeb are not alone in their experience. According to USDA data, from 2018 to 2023, the national rejection average for farm service agency loans, which is an agency of the USDA, was 8%. But for Black farmers, it was 35%. In New York State, the rejection rate was 23% for white farmers, compared to 66% for Black farmers. The USDA has a long and documented history of discrimination towards Black farmers, denying them access to loans, grants, and other forms of assistance, which has contributed to a significant decline in Black-owned farms. In 1920, there were nearly 1 million Black farmers nationwide. Today, there are around 40,000. It's it's important to to point out for, you know, anyone who, you know, says this is that farmers generally will go to the USDA for FSA loan mm-hmm. um, because it's not a traditional financial institution. And so where that'd be more stringent, you know, harder, you know, for you to get the funds that you need. And of course, you know, if you're in agriculture, you kind of need, you know, those resources for different equipment, you know, food costs, because food has to grow, you know, even if folks are engaged through livestock, it has to grow. So you have to get that, you know, that funding in early. As a farm season can be so uncertain, access to resources and grants like the FSA loans are crucial to farms staying afloat. Without them, one bad season or accident can take a huge financial toll. If they, we don't have the food, you know, as, as, as farmers, then they have to get it, you know, somewhere else. And so I think the system then depends on that. And then that becomes the same cycle. So anytime there's a breakup or a, a, a mix up, you know, down there where somebody is, you know, entrepreneur down um, in and they don't hire that many people. And now their business has to, you know, tank that food, you know, is then going to just go to start going to a pantry, going to the supermarket, you know, again. And so it doesn't become dependable. So now on black farmers, we can't be dependable, dependent upon, you know, by a supermarket. You see, we can't be dependent on uh by a supermarket right. because we're not going to get the resources. Most of, almost a hundred percent of the resources go to livestock, go to uh white farmers who do livestock. Not wanting to give up, Liberation Farm took their case to the National Court of Appeals. On February seventh, their case was approved for a trial. 
They hope not only to win the appeal, but that the case will raise awareness and eventually lead to a more equitable future for other Black farmers. We want publicity, you know, on this particular issue, more publicity on the issue, but we want to make it usable data. So in when I say usable data, I mean that folks first get educated and then they actually make steps to make these particular changes. And so some of these changes could be, you know, uh, really affecting policy. We talk to our legislators, you know, uh, from the local level up to, you know, to ground level as well. Uh, communicate with um, USDA, join some of these committees, you know, and, and, and have a mindset that, you know, we want to at least be more equitable with the, the distribution of, you know, resources. So that's what we're, we're trying to do. So it's not just for liberation, you know, liberation farm. Uh, but, you know, for us in the short run, we want to be able to pay our bills. We want to be able to pay our bills. Uh, we want to see, you know, that, that it's, it's more fair assessment that that's happening. Race kind of keeps you down, but people think that you want to be there. That's the problem. People think that you want to discuss race. Like you have to. Um, I, I feel like my main issue should be like everyone's main issue, which should be focused on climate change. Right now, I'd rather be, you know, discussing climate change, uh, not race. I'd rather be focusing on bees, increasing the bees, but not being a beekeeper, just having more flowers out there, just having more ways to, you know, to grow on um, the bee population and leave the bee population alone. Um, uh, being able to, you know, just kind of learn more, you know, I feel like I don't know enough. Uh, so I want to learn more, you know, about more, you know, fungi. I want to learn more, you know, ab about, uh, horticulture. I, I want to learn more about these, you know, different elements, you know, what particular plant I want to go forage and know what to eat and what not to eat. You know, I want to find that, you know, on, on the land. I want to focus on, you know, you know, cultural, you know, uh, issues. I feel like I can't, I can't focus on cultural issues if the political issues keep rearing its head. I, I would rather focus on, you know, social, you know, bonding, you know, within my community. I would love to, you know, address some of these issues, be able to, um, heal, discuss the, um, the pain, you know, that we have generational, you know, issues that are happening, you know, there, but in a cultural, in a cultural set, setting, in a black cultural, you know, setting, you know, discussing some of those things and learn more about other cultures and find out about other cultures and see where the similarities are. Along with winning the appeal, Adewale hopes this year Liberation Farm can continue to provide nutritious food and act as a place of gathering and education for the Black community. You know, we would love for folks, you know, to, to support, you know, Black farmers, you know, um, you know, produce. We, you know, we do a, a long you know, list of produce, you know, touch our herbs, our, you know, our tomatoes, you know, we grow beets, you know, we do that because we want to, you know, bring down heart disease. Uh, it levels are up. Hypertension. I've had, I was diagnosed with hypertension when I was 15 years old. And, and so just learning, you know, uh, about how to do that, what particular foods yeah, we, we can use, uh, is important and it, and it, and it's key, you know, more greens. So we do, you know, we do kale, we do, uh, collard greens, you know, red lettuce. You know, it's a number of, uh, you know, foods that, you know, we're looking to grow, um, this year, including watermelon as well. Talk about the history. So we also, I mean, I think this cultural value and educating folks about the food, you know, why food, you know, exists. There's a reason why tomatoes, you know, uh, was, you know, first food to be, you know, GMO. So just giving folks that particular education, 
you know, it's, it's important. Why is, you know, why corn is the number one, you know, produced food, you know, in the U.S. Everything has, there's a context, there's information, you know, um, and, and this is not to attack any of the, you know, the farmers, but it just shows that who's actually benefiting, mm-hmm. you know, who's benefiting from, from the resources and who, who's not benefiting from the resources. Even as a downhill, we don't have any businesses in the black community that's going down where we're still making, you know, lots of money. Mm-hmm. It's just not a thing. No one does that. That was Omawale Adewale, the co-owner of Liberation Farm. In Liberty, I'm Marin Scotton for Radio Catskill. Thank you, Marin. And thank you for listening, listener. This is it for the local edition. I've been your host, Jason Dole. Thank you so much for listening. Do keep listening on air and always live streaming at WJFFradio.org. I'll be back tomorrow. We'll check in with Philip Pantuso of the Times Union. Remember, Tim Bruno will be back here with you tomorrow morning at 10 for Radio Catskill. Daily's up next. This is Radio Catskill. Your NPR station for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Radio Catskill, keeping you connected. Support comes from Country House Realty, a boutique Catskills real estate brokerage with a new office in Livingston Manor. Country House Realty. Exceptional spaces in beautiful places. More at CountryHouseRealty.com. From Livingston Manor. Dining, shopping, and the arts at the gateway to the Catskill Park. LivingstonManorNY.com. And from listeners like you who donate at WJFFRadio.org. WJFF Jeffersonville. W233AH Monticello. Radio Catskill. Local news, culture, and NPR.